Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13. Ecclesiastes 12, 13. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Let's pray. Lord, today I ask you to anoint your word. Lord, that you would um, fill me afresh with your spirit, that you would lead and guide me as I preach. Lord, as your word goes forth, that it would bear fruit. Lord, you know what your people need, and I pray that, Good Shepherd, you would feed your sheep today. And I ask that you would be glorified in this time. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm so excited. We start summer Sunday school. I want to just give uh, some props to Stephanie Campbell. She put this together. And the Sunday school teachers all volunteered. They were done at the end of May. And they got together and said, no, we want to do this for a couple more weeks in summer. So our Sunday school teachers have really stepped up beyond the call of duty. And Stephanie organized that. And I want to thank them all for all that. Kids are excited. Well, he was a World War II hero. Uh, Before he was 27, his first book was published, became a classic. He won the Pulitzer Prize and the Nobel Prize. He was extremely wealthy, yet he wasn't fulfilled. Didn't know the meaning of life. An alcoholic, married four times, severe depression, and finally committed suicide in 1961. There's the life and times of Ernest Hemingway. Ecclesiastes is really the observations and counsel to try to find the meaning of life, the purpose of life from the wisest man that ever lived, according to the Bible. This man, King Solomon, had unlimited resources. He was wealthy beyond what you can even imagine. At that time, we would probably have compared him to Elon Musk or someone else that is extremely wealthy. He had all the resources he needed because he not only had cash, he was king, literally. So whatever he said, people did. And he had absolute total freedom. He didn't have to work a 40-hour-a-week job. He did what he wanted to do, when he wanted to do it. He did whatever he wanted. And in his earlier years as king, he himself says in the book of Ecclesiastes, that he withheld nothing from himself. Whatever his eyes wanted, whatever his heart desired, whatever he wanted to do, he did. But what we find in Ecclesiastes is this. It's the diary of Solomon's later years. He's looking back at life. 
And he shares in Ecclesiastes his regrets. And he's doing so for this purpose, that it would be a, for the purpose of giving advice to the young. So if you're a young person today, you can define what that means. We're all in that camp. He's saying, you know what? you got a whole life to live. And he says this, the true meaning and purpose in life is found only through a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the conclusion of the, the book of Ecclesiastes and the main point in this message. Take a look at the outline of Ecclesiastes. Chapters 1 through 7, worldly things under the sun that the preacher tries to find fulfillment in. Chapter 8 through 12, suggestions and comments on how, to, how life should be lived. Ecclesiastes means preacher. Uh, the Hebrew word means one who addresses an assembly. E ecclesia means assembly. So you can see what that is like. Uh, Solomon was the author around 945 B.C. This is absolutely one of the favorite books in the entire Bible for atheists and agnostics. They love Ecclesiastes because they think it's showing that there is no God. A fatalism approach to life. So they love Ecclesiastes. The problem is, is this, that they don't understand how to read the Bible. So they claim verses there, but they don't understand this, that every aspect of life in Ecclesiastes is described as being under the sun. And that's important to, to really get our heads around the meaning of this book. Everything is about under the sun. Take a look at God's Word again. Ecclesiastes 1, 3 through 4. What does man gain by all the toil in which he toils under the sun? A generation goes, a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. Ecclesiastes 2, 9 through 11. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward for all my toil. When I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity. And a striving after the wind, there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Pretty melancholy, isn't it? That's the wisest man ever to live. And you say, how can you say that? Because God said that. And I'm figuring God knows more about it than anyone else. And that's what he's saying. God is using this man to proclaim something to us. What does it mean? 29 times in Ecclesiastes, it, taught, it uses the term under the sun. What does that mean? It primarily means simply this, physical creation. Physical creation. We would say what this really is talking about is a worldly perspective without a relationship to Christ. So it's a worldly perspective without God. Solomon is talking about the years when he was not in fellowship with God. That's what he's talking about in Ecclesiastes. You can see why atheists and agnostics are drawn to this book. Because he's communicating so much truth. And what we find is this, that 
Solomon sought happiness and satisfaction apart from God in many, many things. In education. He said, I, I, I had much learning. We joked about it a couple of weeks ago about, you know, the big win was when you, when you got a set of encyclopedias. Well, he had all the encyclopedias. He had the wisdom of that time. And he said, well, surely that's where you're satisfied. You get educated, right? I need more degrees. It's got to be greater. You know, it's not enough for this one. I've got to get the master's and a doctorate and et cetera, et cetera. I need it all. That's where I'll find my satisfaction in gaining knowledge. Hedonism. Whatever he wanted, he tried. Whatever he wanted, he tried. He tried just the accumulation of things. You know, how many cars, how many horses, how many houses do you need? And he, whatever he wanted, he got. He denied himself nothing. Not one thing. He pursued wisdom. Maybe that's it. Business success. I'll just, you know, build things. Be a successful builder. That's what it is. I'll just I'll become a builder. I'll, I'll make a garden. I'll be, maybe it's gardening. You know, maybe it's about getting close to the earth, right? And getting close to nature. And that's where you find your satisfaction and your meaning and your joy in life, apart from God. He tried alcohol and drugs. You know, maybe it's just about being high and being numb to everything, you know? Maybe that's where the meaning of life comes. And you know, you get high and you watch the LED readouts on the stereo for about an hour and a half. Because that's what I did. And that's where life is at. Just forgetting, you know, get rid of the pain. Because that's what the meaning of life is about. Maybe it was about morality. He tried that. That didn't bring him satisfaction, so he tried immorality. We don't know the extremes that he went to, but it sure doesn't sound like he put any social barriers on what he wanted to try regarding immorality at all. He tried formal religion. You know, you're going to be good enough. Let's, let's try this religion. Let's try maybe earning our way to heaven through our good works. Or maybe it's meditation. Maybe it's, it's about just uh, nirvana or whatever it might be. He tried it through formal religion. Some scholars have said that there's really, when you look at the different things that are laid out in Ecclesiastes, there's really no new religion to man that hasn't been dealt with in Ecclesiastes. We're just repeating the same old, you know, cycle. He tried it all. This guy tried absolutely everything. And as I was studying this week, I realized something about this book. Ecclesiastes is really a record of a life filled with idolatry. It's a life filled with idolatry. Take a look at God's word. Exodus chapter 23 through 5, the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. 
You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Colossians 3, 5 through 7. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Isn't that interesting? See, we don't have a little idol sitting in the corner, do we? We don't have a little Buddha in the corner that we're bowing down or burning candles to. But what about that? Look at that. You know, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Whoa, maybe that first commandment has something to do with us. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And these you too once walked when you were living in them. In them. You see, an idol is this. Something that we put our hope for joy, satisfaction, protection, provision, anything other than Jesus can become an idol. See, I think so many times we hear that word today, and we go, I don't do that. That's for people in India. That's for people over here, not me. I don't do that. I've never even seen somebody with an altar like that, Dan, in their house. And we limit that. We don't understand what the meaning of that word is. It's putting something before God and depending on it for our satisfaction and our joy. They're legitimate good things. They're not bad things. They're legitimate good things, but we pursue them and we delight in them before or even more than God. That's what it's about. We don't deny God. We come to Sunday morning. We worship Him. But we just kind of ignore God. We forget about Him. Or we use Him for our selfish ends. You know, it's, it's a self-centered life rather than a God-centered life. You know, it's, there's nothing wrong with a new car. There's nothing wrong with washing and waxing it once a week. But you get to the end of the week and you say this, boy, I didn't have any time to be with the Lord this week. Boy, didn't have any time to be with Him. We got our big house and we build it up. There's nothing wrong with it. It's good. And it's, we'll say all the right things. I know because I'm guilty of this too. It's the Lord's house. It's not mine. Yet when it, we have an opportunity to be hospitable, well, but they have a bunch of kids and they might trash the house. You know, maybe it's, it's that goals that you have. You know, you go to see your financial advisor and he asks you, what are your goals in life? And you lay out your goals in life and this is what they are. He gives you a game plan and you're following that game plan and all of a sudden you hear a need from someone, a brother or sister in Christ and you really would like to help but you've got to stay on the plan. Because why? Well, that's where I'm going to be secure. That's where I'm going to find my hope. Little things. You know, I can't tell you what if you have an idol in your life or not. The Holy Spirit will, though, if we ask him. Say, Lord, is this an idol? Maybe it's your reputation. Maybe it's a goal in your life of, 
of everything else is taking a second seat, including God, in order for you to accomplish what you want to accomplish in life. Why are you pursuing it like that? Well, because you honestly believe that that's where you'll be satisfied and that's where you'll find your joy. And there's nothing wrong with it. They're good things. But are they becoming the ultimate thing for you? Where now there's no time for God or God gets the scraps, God gets the leftovers. You see, that's idolatry. When it gets to that point, there should be times when you delight in things. But you got to check your heart. I really like driving my GTO. I really enjoy it. There's times when I drive it and I'm just delighting in God. And there's times when I'm driving it and I'm in sin. Because it's pride. And I have to ask myself, is this an idol in my life, God? Ask yourself that hard question. Because idolatry is a heart issue. That's what it really is. And Solomon's life shows us that no heart suddenly turns away from God. It's that old story of the frog in the hot water, right? You know, you can't just throw a frog in boiling water or it'll jump out. But you just throw the frog in the cold water and you slowly turn up the heat. That's what it's like with idolatry, I think. It just kind of creeps in there and it overwhelms us. And before you know it, our, our heart for the Lord is dull and cold. We still say we love Him and, and we do the right things because we are Christians and you have to do that. But our heart, our passion for Jesus is gone, replaced by an idol. And he gets seconds. You see, I would ask you this question, what gives you meaning? What, what are you, the priorities in your life? What are they? What is the idol that you hope God never takes away? You know, a great discussion this week would be, is it possible for a family, your family, to be an idol? You know, the idol receives the best time, the best treasure, and God gets the leftovers. That's how it works. And it's so slow. It's so slow. That's how the enemy is. He plays the long game. He plays and he plants the seed that'll reap a harvest for him in 15 years. And then you look back and you go, why is my heart so cold, God? Good things, not bad things. And so here's a good word in God's word, is the fact that, you know what? Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. And the good news of the gospel of grace is that there's forgiveness and there's restoration. God brings us. He never leaves us nor forsakes us. He lets us see that. And he brings us to a place where we, our eyes are opened. And then he gives us, grants us the grace to repent. Look at that. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is the steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame and he remembers that we are dust. He knows that we're broken. Uh, we had a prayer time this last Tuesday and one of the elders prayed this. They, they said, Lord, I think it was part of a prayer, maybe it was a comment, and they said, isn't it incredible that of all of God's creation, the only thing that does not constantly praise him is men. 
That's pretty deep. All of creation worships him all the time, proclaims his greatness. You see, life under the sun is frustrating and meaningless and futile for everyone. It's not just a few. If that's what you're basing your life, and if that's where your hope is for your joy, is things under the sun, then your life will eventually come to this place of futility if it's not already there. Because all earthly goals and ambitions and accomplishments, when pursued as ends in themselves, lead to dissatisfaction and frustration. That's what Solomon is saying. He's saying, I had the best drugs. I had the finest horses. I had the biggest houses. I had the biggest garden. I had the biggest, best everything. And this is my conclusion about it all. You're chasing the wind. Vapor. It's all, it's all vanity. And you know what? The logical conclusion for a life without God is this. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. That is the logical conclusion. That's why I get it when an atheist says something like that. That that has to be the logical conclusion. If there is no God, then live for today, because we're just going to die. So party on, as they used to say. That's the logical conclusion of a life without God. Live for today. But the world was never designed to satisfy that deep longing and hunger for identity that you have or the purpose for your life or the meaning in life. It was never designed for that. All is vanity, as Solomon says. What does that mean? It means it's empty, it's unsatisfying, it's futile, it's useless, it's temporary. 37 times in Ecclesiastes, Solomon uses that. Vanity, that word vanity. This is what it is. It was, and I did all this, and it was vanity. And I did this, and it was vanity. It was just, I, what? This is it? You get to the peak. I, I've said this story before. I remember being at a church one time, and uh, it was a Baltimore Oriole pitcher. It was, in, I think, in 83, 84, 85, somewhere around there. And the Baltimore Orioles won the, the World Series. And he was the winning pitcher in Game 7 of the World Series. And he came and shared at our church. And he said, let me tell you something. I understand what Solomon said. This was within two months after he won. And he said, I stood there and it was glorious. I spent my whole life dreaming about pitching game seven in the World Series and winning it for my team. And I did it. And he said, and I was shocked that within 24 hours, it was back to work. Vanity, all vanity. You see, depression and anxiety and hopelessness are inevitable if you make secondary things the primary thing. If you worship those things that were never meant to be worshipped, it has to come out that way. Just as a life without God has to come to that conclusion, party today for tomorrow we die, then what happens is that when we put things primary that are secondary or we worship what was never intended to be worshipped, we're going to struggle with depression and frustration in life. It has to happen. And that's why Solomon, the wisest man ever, concluded that to worship and obey God is, the, is your purpose and reason to exist. He said, it's about God. 
That's what it's about. Take a look at God's word again. Ecclesiastes 12, 13 and 14. The end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. And Ecclesiastes 2, 25 through 26. I think it's just 25. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? Ecclesiastes 3, 11 and 14. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. Verse 14, I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. And that word fear doesn't mean afraid. It means reverent awe. And Acts 17, 28, in him we live and move and have our being. It's talking about Jesus. You see, true meaning and purpose in life is found only through a relationship with Christ. You were made for God. You were made for God. And when you try to separate that out, you cannot be fulfilled because you're not doing what you were designed to do. And I put it this way. Everything in this brief life under the sun points to the sun beyond the sun. Jesus. Jesus. Everything in this life points to Christ. Everything in this life proclaims Jesus. It says in God's word that he created everything and everything was created for him. And he holds everything together. All of creation, everything is pointing to Jesus. Everything under the sun points to Jesus the Son who is above the sun. It's about Christ. And if we live and if we walk with Jesus, our life will not be in vain, but it will be purposeful because we live for the glory of God. I was just reading, I think it was yesterday or today, uh, under, in my morning and evening, and Charles Spurgeon had a great question. He said, why didn't God just take us away right away after we got saved? He said, are you any less, or any less saved then than you are now? And his challenge was this. God could have done that. The moment that we received that gift of salvation, God could have jetted us off into heaven and we'd be eternally there. So why did he leave us here? What's the purpose? There's got to be a reason. It's for the glory of God that we might live in a manner that brings him glory, that honors him. You know, I, I was thinking about this. That as we're going through this series, I see that Jesus is my song in Psalms, isn't he? He's my song in Psalms. Jesus is my wisdom in Proverbs. And Jesus is the purpose in my life for Ecclesiastes. That's my Jesus. We see Jesus exalted throughout the Old Testament, and we see him exalted here in Ecclesiastes. He is the one worthy of praise and honor and glory. If we live and walk with Jesus, we won't live in vain. We have a purpose. 
I want to glorify God in all I say, do, and think. And that's a great purpose. That's a great meaning in life. You see how life is so empty without it? You know, do I really believe that all my stuff is God's and I'm, he's just letting me be a steward of it? And that changes things. How do I glorify him? You know, we're called to live a life of piety and pleasure. Hear that. Hear that. We're not talking about holiness at the expense of enjoyment. We're talking about holiness at the expense of sin. But you know what? What you have are God's good gifts to you. They're His, and He's given them to you. The wheels you have, the house you live in, the clothes you wear, the relationships you have, the neighbors you have, those are good gifts from God to you to enjoy, to delight in as gifts from God. You see, life shouldn't be a bunch of Christians walking around like we were baptized in vinegar, all sourpusses. Woe is me. Woe is the world. We serve the King of Kings. And He is our joy. And He is our hope. And He is our song. And He is our wisdom. And He is our meaning. And that affects how we read the news. Or even whether we read it or not. He is are all in all. In Him we live and move and have our being. And when we enjoy the things that God has given, the good things, within the within, within the, 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 the ways that God wants us to do that without bring, leading it to idolatry, then it glorifies God. It glorifies God. Because we're living within a celebratory life of this is my God. Look at what he's given me. I'm going to delight in this. I'm not going to go, oh boy, I've got to find the crappiest car and drive that because that'll really glorify God. You know, that's not what I'm saying. You see, God is going to bless you. He's going to take care of you. And you don't have to worry about trying to look pious. Just be pious. Be holy. Delight in whatever God gives you and be content with it. Enjoy life, but do it in a way that brings God glory, not in a way that puts things ahead of God. Looking for our satisfaction there. If I just get that car done, man, when I put that top down and I'm driving down the road, that'll be it, baby. No, it won't. No, it won't. No, it won't. You see, when we live like that, delighting in God, who He is, our meaning for our life, where we find our joy and our hope and our satisfaction and our provision and our protection in Christ, then the Holy Spirit develops a peace within us and a satisfaction, a contentment, a hope, a meaning for life. Not just sucking in air until we stop with the, the last time the air pump works. But there's meaning. The dash park in Alaska. It's that time between birth and death. Glorifying Jesus in it all. Brothers and sisters, do what you were created to do to find purpose in life and to be truly satisfied. Glorify God. Take a look at God's word again. 1 Peter 4, 2-3. 
so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality and passions and drunkenness and orgies, drinking, parties, and lawless idolatry. In James 1.17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. In 1 Timothy 6, 6-8, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. Are you content today? You have everything you need for life and godliness. Your eternity is secure if you know Jesus. By God's grace, put aside idols in your life. Put them aside. They're there. And live for the glory of God, not your fleshly desires. Supplant those worldly desires by delighting in Jesus. You know, stop the craziness. Stop the treadmill. Get off of it. Get up in the morning, spend some time with Jesus. Stop the craziness. Pursue holiness. Put your hope in God's promised future. Live like a king's kid, not like a pauper. Realize how how rich you are in Christ, and that means in Christ, not anything else, not stuff. Because all of life is a gift made beautiful by God. Life is fleeting, so live it well. Live it well. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your wisdom in the book of Ecclesiastes. Thank you for taking Solomon through this journey, so much so that he would record it in your precious word that we today, so many centuries later, could glean from it. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would have your way in all of us. If there are idols that we are putting our hope in for our joy, Lord, if we're just like this or we just do that or we just have this, then we'll be happy. Lord, help us to see we have all we need in Christ. And Lord, cause us to live with a joy that is so far beyond what we could imagine, Lord, because we really believe this and we walk in it by your grace and your mercy. So God, do a miracle in our hearts. God, destroy any idols we have, our reputation, our jobs, our homes, whatever we're putting our hope of joy in. God, do this so that your name would be exalted in our lives. And we pray this in the precious and beautiful and glorious name of our Savior and our friend and our King, Jesus. Amen. Let's continue to stand and worship our great God. He is worthy.